What's up, everyone, and welcome back to the Boys of MLS Gone Wild, where Blend, Zach, and I, Poopus, bring you the latest in American soccer. We have a very special guest in store for you for you today. So, Blend, take it away. Hey, guys. Like Poopus said, welcome to MLS Gone Wild Week 12. We do have another very special guest with us today. Uh, he's a 15-year retired MLS veteran, youngest player to reach 300 regular season caps, and the first player from Mississippi to play for the U.S. men's national team. We have Justin Mapp here with us today, everybody. Justin, welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, like you said, I'm from uh, Mississippi, uh, retired professional. I uh, spent uh, all my career in Major League Soccer um, and uh, I think seven or eight appearances with the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, and yeah, back in Mississippi now. So uh, thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for taking time to join us. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what has life kind of been outside of after soccer for you? Like we, you've been in the league, you're retired now. What has life kind of been like for you since? Yeah, so I retired in 17, the very end. Uh, 16 was my last official year um, on the books at Sporting KC. So, you know, I guess uh, just a transition, you know, it's a new chapter and, um, you know, it's been, it's been ups and downs, but, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, starting to coaching um, and just kind of starting that second chapter of life and uh, trying to adjust but you know um, as mentioned earlier 15 years in the league you know doing the same thing day in day out and same routine um, it's definitely been an adjustment but um, you know it's been a nice change of pace as well yeah you kind of talked you said you kind of got into coaching did you like kind of always know you were going to kind of get into that after or was it kind of like after a little bit of re being retired you're like well I miss it a little bit I want to kind of get back involved somehow or how did that come about? Yeah, um, so obviously while you're playing, you know, um, having spent so much time around the game, I always thought I would get into coaching at, at some point. But um, after I retired, I just kind of stepped away from everything, you know, to catch my breath. And then, um, you know, started my own little academy deal, which is what I'm doing now. And uh, honestly, I didn't know for sure if that's what I want to do in the next chapter. But, um, you know, soccer is what I know. It's what I've been around. It's what I'm passionate about. And, um, you know, so – uh, I think doing what I'm doing now, you know, it has given me an opportunity kind of in, I work with small groups, individual training to, you know, really see it. Coaching is something I want to pursue, you know, for my next career. So um, before I hop into a club team or, you know, or whatnot. So um, something I always had my, my eye on, but, you know, uh, these last couple of years has kind of um, been an interesting transition. And um, I think it is something that I, I see myself doing for years to come. So. Yeah, that's always like, that was like with me. Um, I actually coach at Rhodes College on the women's side right now. I'm the assistant coach, but it was like, I didn't really, at first, I didn't know I wanted to get into coaching. And then kind of like my senior year of college, I was like, I kind of don't want to get away from this. I need to find a way to kind of stay in it. So it kind of just took its route on its own. So that's always kind of cool. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, as a, as a professional player, I don't know if having a responsibility is the right phrase to use, but you almost do have a responsibility to give back to the game, to grow the game of soccer, um, whether it's in your home state of Mississippi or, you know, wherever you're providing your, your training. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, that was part of my mindset as well as, especially in a rural place like Mississippi where soccer is not king and um, maybe there isn't as much high level coaching or whatnot. I think having the experiences and knowledge I have in the game, you know, kind of felt like you said, a responsibility in a way to, to kind of give back and share that. So that was, you know, part of my, my thinking as well. So. 
So yeah. since we're on the topic of coaching, uh, we hadn't really talked about discussing this topic, but it seemed like it's a, been a common theme within our 12 episodes. There's been a lot of developments within the developmental academy um, and the MLS forming their own academy and expanding it to USL teams and things like that. What are your initial thoughts on that? Um, well, my initial thoughts are trying to keep up with the new names and uh, I feel like they're always changing it from yeah. development academy to like elite. I, I forget what this last one was called. So, um, I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky deal. Um, I just think, you know, without knowing all the exact details, cause I'm not in the, you know, academy system currently, um, you know, just finding, finding a way to over the whole country identify as many players as we can and put them in as high level environments as we can. Um, and obviously that's the ultimate goal. And I know the U S has certain, you know, it's such a big vast country with so much, it's a melting pot, you know, so trying to form it after a Holland or, you know, I took my B course, they're all Dutch coaches and they want to go to form it, you know, after the Dutch system. And it's just very tough in this country due to the, the size and, you have so many different backgrounds in the game um, and, you know, it just presents problem. But again, um, I like what I read on the new kind of system and we'll see how it plays out. But yeah, I mean, obviously at the end of the day, um, there's so much talent in the U S and so much untapped talent or that's not nurtured. Right. That, um, I mean, we could be so much better than we are. I feel like. Exactly. So, you know, you're nurturing that talent down in Mississippi. So we've, talked about different big soccer hubs around the United States, whether it's East Coast or West specific cities that seem to produce more pros or what have you. And you being the first player from Mississippi to make the U.S. men's national team, I think what you're doing in Mississippi is great. And we would love to see uh, that state represented a little bit more within a soccer, you know, within the soccer realm. Sure. Have you, Blam, uh, I'm going to ask a question. Have you like been yeah. able to see, the growth in soccer in Mississippi since you kind of came out, has it been growing? Has it grown since or kind of what has, what's it like down there in that area? Yeah. I mean, obviously small population, um, you know, so it's not going to jump off the charts, but from when I was growing up and, you know, moving back 15 years later, um, mid thirties now, you know, um, I definitely see more kids playing. I remember when I was playing, we had two or three maybe club teams from you 13 to 15 within the whole state. Um, so, you know, a state cup might be a round robin between three teams to represent, you know, in regionals or whatever, you know, which in, uh, Columbus or, you know, pretty much any other decent sized city, I mean, you have tons and tons of teams. So that's just how small it was. And, um, just from a player pool, there's a, a lot more kids playing now. Um, I work with kids from all different clubs, boys, girls. Um, and so I think it's definitely grown, um, uh, in those 15 years and, um, Again, hopefully it'll it'll continue in that trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. That's what that's what we're always hoping for with soccer. And you kind of have the route that Mississippi State's taken, Ole Miss, and the success they've been having lately. Hopefully, especially in that those two areas, it can continue to grow at a higher rate. So hopefully that works. Sure. So we're gonna switch it up into a couple fun questions. Justin, I read, and I believe it was a previous interview that you. Or a country music fan, is that correct? Uh, I do like country, yeah. I'm a Mississippi okay. guy, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you could listen to only one country artist for the rest of your life, who would it be? Wow. Oh, uh, man. 
I'll give you one old school, one new school. I don't know if uh, I know you said one. I'll go George Strait, right. and then I'll go. Uh, I like Jason. I'm a Jason Aldean guy, but uh, I know he's. You know, people have Man. their opinions. Um, so George Strait for the old school, Jason Aldean for the new. Yeah, I'm a big Justin or Jason Aldean fan. Huge. <laughs> I, I think all of our fan all right. friend group is. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good all right, one. Those I'll two good. The test then. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> favorite. Favorite. So we're all George Strait fans as well, but you know we. Yeah. You know, he's a little bit older, so I'm not as well-versed sure. in George Strait. Yeah, yeah. What's, your, what's your favorite Jason Aldean song? Jason Aldean song. Oh, shoot. Um, is it uh, Dirt Road Anthem? Yeah, that's oh, a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah that was uh, – that would yeah, I stuck on that one for a while. Um, I haven't listened to him a lot lately, but anytime he comes on, uh, I was in them uh, for a while. So, yeah. Yeah, I have right, a Justin. number of – I have a number of favorites. Uh, mine is Tattoos on This Town, I think. But uh, he's, all, all he makes is hits. He's like the Drake of country music. It's crazy. Yeah, they're all, they're all catchy. And, uh, yeah, he, I, I, don't, I can't think of one where I'm like, eh, not really good. So, I mean, you could play yep. this whole album through. So Cool. Good insight. All right, Justin. So, I was like, all the clues you've owned, in, like, back in the day and, like, right now, what would be your favorite pair of boots have you ever owned and wish they still made to this day? Whew. Oh, man. Well, when I was a kid, I wore a bit of everything. Obviously, Copas are a classic. Um, went through a little Diodora as a kid. But from Major League Soccer on, I was a total 90 guy from each pair. Um, yes. And the last part of my career, I got into uh, Mercurial, the Vapors. Um, but for a while, it was the total 90s from I think the lasers, the the threes, one with like the side tongue, the kind of side lacing, all those. Um, so I was I was a total ninety guy for the majority of my career. So any of those. I mean, I know back in I know back in the day, that's when the like the classic cleats were out too, when the good ones came out. So oh, yeah. yeah, they don't they don't make them like they used to. That's for sure. No, they don't, man. They make the laceless boots now and everything. My fat yeah, I never I never those. So I, I never got into the the sock and shoe combo that was never uh just couldn't do it so yeah i think those yellow lasers were probably the classics the my yellow, favorite yeah. pair yep those yeah, were lasers an absolutely yeah, right. great one yeah, yeah do you guys sure. remember the adidas tunits the ones that you could change the oh, uh, the, the cleats the on the bottom of the boot yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, those okay. those are pretty yeah. sweet. I, ha I that yeah. was a shower that was a shower thought today. I haven't thought about the tunits in a long time, and it just kind of popped into my head. They, they just like never wore it. I was. They just re-released those a uh, oh, couple months ago, or during the summer, or something like that, for like a limited time. They like made a certain set of number of those and sold them. So pretty sweet to see those back on the market for a little bit. But I, will yeah, have to say, I, I was with Nike for my entire career. So I never, I always wanted to try some Adidas and, you know, some of the other guys on the team. Um, I, I was always with Nike, so I never had a chance to try any Adidas boots. But, uh, you know, some guys are, are uh, all about Adidas. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it definitely depends on your preference. And, yeah, I, I was always a Nike guy as well. Nike, yeah. So, our next question is kind of based around your awards and your accolades and things like that. So to give our listeners kind of an understanding of everything that Justin has accomplished and won um, in his career. So he was an MLS all-star in 2015 or not 2015, 2005 and 2013. He was named to the MLS best 11 in 2006. 
Uh, like I mentioned earlier, he's the youngest player to ever score. Or I didn't mention this. He's the youngest player to ever score for Chicago Fire. He's the youngest player to record 300 regular season caps. He's top five in assists for both the Chicago Fire and Montreal Impact. He is the first player from Mississippi to play for the U.S. national team. He has eight caps for them. Um, he's a Supporters Shield winner, two-time U.S. Open Cup champ, and two-time Canadian Championship winner. That's a whole lot to throw at everybody right now, but Justin, which award, accolade, or trophy is the most important to you? Uh, um, I would throw out two and a little bit different, but I would say probably best 11 in 06. Um, I think players, uh, managers, or coaches um, vote on that. So I think to be recognized um, by your, your teammates or peers, um, for having that season and being one of the best 11. I thought, you know, that kind of sticks out to me. Um, and then switching it up to um, Canadian Championship. So touching on my time in Montreal, Canadian Championship, it's a small tournament, obviously same idea as U.S. Open Cup, but um, they take it extremely serious. Um, you know, the Montreal-Toronto rivalry is huge, kind of a French-English thing. Um, and we won that twice. Um, and, and that was pretty special. Just it, it meant a whole lot to the, the Impact fans. Um, you know, one of the years we beat Vancouver, the other year we beat Toronto. So, um, you know, that was pretty cool as well. So a little follow-up question. I'm glad that you talked about sure. the, the, the rivalry between Toronto and Montreal. That was going to be a follow-up question I had later along the lines, but you provided us with that early so a question about the best 11 in 2006, I believe, is the year. What other players were on that best 11? Do you know? True. It's so many years ago. I think uh, – I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously you could Google it, but uh, um, maybe Ricardo Clark. Uh, I, honestly, I don't even know. Um, it's been, I mean, obviously – 14 years. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't looked up the list in a while. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. So I'll give you some – I'll ask another follow-up question real quick. Uh, who's the best player you've ever played with? Played with? Wow, that's a loaded question there. Um, best player I've played with? I would say – and it was only for one year in Montreal, um, and it was part of an injury – kind of injury-riddled year for me, but did play with him some. I would say uh, Didier Drogba. Um, what, do you, and, what do you think made him so special? Well, I, we, he came in midsummer um, 2015. Uh, in his first game, we played Chicago Fire at home in Montreal, and he scored a hat trick, perfect hat trick, left foot, right foot, header. And, mm. I mean, the guy was 36, 37, and, I mean, he just made their back line look like little kids. And all I could think during that game was I can only imagine this guy. Well, one, I'm glad he's on my team. And two, I can only imagine him when he was in his prime, you know, with Chelsea. And, like, I mean, the guy was still just a, a monster. Um, and this is, you know, the tail end of his career. So, um, yeah, uh, just an absolute beast. Obviously a legend. But, I mean, I could go down the list from uh, Alessandro Nesta, Piatti, um, go back to Chicago days, Blanco. Uh, McBride was solid, not best, but I mean, McBride um, in the air was incredible. Um, shoot. Uh, some national team stuff, obviously Donovan, um, Dempsey, players like that. So take, take your pick. But if I had to choose one that stood out the most, I would say, even though a limited time, Didier. That's, that's a heck of a list that you got there, man. <laughs> 
Yeah, big time. Big time. I agree. Yeah, so before we go on to the next question, the flip that you've played with, like, a lot of players play with a lot of teams. Is there, like, a player who you would say was underrated for what you saw day in and day out? Uh, yeah, I would give you a player, and you all probably know him well. I mean, being Columbus guys, um, I spent time with him at the fire, still good friends with him, Chris Rolfe. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you all are familiar with him and uh, scored a ton of goals, you know, top two or three in Chicago history and um, just a clever, smart player, technical left foot, right foot finish. Um, I know he's not unknown, but I feel like um, he, he did a lot for the club and, and, and my book is a little under underrated. So. Yeah, that was actually a, a question from one of our fans. We don't have a lot of people submit questions, so we have to come up with most of the stuff ourselves. Sure. Um, but that one was submitted by one of the listeners, so we had to, had to give that question a little bit of love. So you came into the league in tw- uh, 2002. Was there, like, a player who you kind of based your style off of, kind of? Because there were a lot of good players around that time. Uh, you had the World Cup teams. Like, was there a certain player you kind of grew up watching you, like, wanted to emulate? Well, I'll give you – because you got the Rashford jersey hanging in the back. Um, I was, uh, you know, watching Man U grow up. Um, I was a, a gigs guy. Um, okay. So, you know, obviously left-footed, that makes sense. Um, you know, one of the best players of his, his generation, um, just on the ball, uh, you know, whole package. So, I would say Ryan Giggs. Um, so yeah, Ryan Giggs. And then, uh, I'm a little older, but obviously toward the end of my career was a a messy guy, which, uh, I guess you can't go wrong there either. So, so you're a left-footed player. You talked about Giggs being your favorite player growing up. He played on the left side. You played on the right side. Growing up, did you, because as a coach, you always see this and you get this a lot from left-footed players. Do you get – did you, like – were were you very accepting of the fact that your coach wanted you to play on the right side as a left-footed player, or did you want to play on the left side? Well, probably the first half of my career, I played predominantly as a left midfielder, left winger, you know, based on your system. And then um, I didn't switch fully to the right side until maybe my second year in Montreal. Okay. Um, so really last few games and then, you know, sprinkled throughout the rest of the years. But um, I personally uh, like playing as an inverted winger on the right side, um, just having that ability to cut in on your, your stronger foot. On the left side, obviously, um, was more inclined to obviously get to the end line and, and put a ball in the box. So I like the inverted winger. And obviously you're seeing that as kind of a trend in world football, you know, strong foot play on the opposite side. Um, and I like that a lot. and. Um, I'm a fan of that personally. Awesome. Yeah, you were dangerous on both the left and the right, but I think you would – I could argue that you're more dangerous on the right, dribbling at players. You know, you can still take them, you know, in line with your left foot on the right, or you can cut inside. It makes you a little bit yeah. more unpredictable. Defend. It makes you harder to defend. Um, yeah. And cutting inside, you'll be able to combine with players more. Um, so just, yeah. you know, watching the highlight tape that you – posted the other day you know the majority of those highlights come from the, the right hand side so I think you're one of the mo- most respected inverted wingers probably in MLS history in that regard all right so I think we're going to go ahead and take a quick break for our sponsor poop is go ahead with that next question all right so Justin so I know you won the league in 2002 what's the biggest differences between 2002 to now in like major league soccer Whew. 
Um, everything. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, y'all have seen it firsthand as well. I mean, just when I came to the league, I don't remember exactly maybe 10 teams. Um, and now there's, you know, 20 plus. So just from everything from size, money that's invested, um, you know, soccer specific stadiums. I think that's yes. the big thing, getting real fields, you know, half of my career I played in, you know, um, huge football stadiums, which was never ideal. Even if we had a good crowd, it wasn't 80,000. So uh, having the soccer specific stadiums around 20K has been huge. Um, so that would be the biggest thing. And just, I mean, it's just grown. Uh, it's night and day. Again, y'all have seen it yourself. Um, now you're starting to see real money invested in players, bringing in young South American players for, you know, uh, multi-million dollar transfer fees and stuff like that. So uh, it's kind of at the point where either, you know, your team invests or you kind of get left behind and you're starting to see that with your Atlantas and certain teams. So, um, you know, just the money that's being spent, you know, minimum salary is a lot higher now. So just, just across the board, but um, having the soccer specific stadiums and, you know, some state-of-the-art stadiums um, I think has been massive. One of so the, how, do you, how do you feel about that VAR now? Because I know they didn't have VR back in the day, so how do you feel about that? Yeah. It's a shame, that we, like... refer, it's a shame that we refer to 2002 as back in the day. But... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's also bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like at times, you know, I'm a proponent, but at other times when it stops the game um, or it's uh, literally offsides by a toenail and they break it down when they try and put the lines on the screen and you're like, well, I can't tell a difference. <laughs> But you've just taken five minutes to try and figure out if it's offsides. I mean, I feel like that's just too much. So I think if you just simplify it to certain things would be great. But I mean, when you're when you're changing a goal that, you know, crowd just went wild and it's literally maybe offsides, maybe not. Just I mean, people want to see a goal like it's an entertainment business. Um, I think sometimes it's just doing too much. So I think it has its its pros and its cons. And sure. you know, you're definitely depending on the game that you're watching if you are a fan you can obviously be biased about the whole situation you know there there's there's a part of the game that is human error um so you have to keep that in the game to some extent but i see what they're trying to do they want to make sure that the correct calls are being made on the field um so it's there's like i said there's pros and cons to it yeah i get, I get both sides of it for sure yeah yeah so you touched on the whole soccer specific stadiums I'm not sure. I can't remember where Chicago played when you played for them, but were you, what were your feelings towards them going back to Soldier Field? Into football specific. I think they needed to do it. Just, I mean, when I played there, I was obviously spent seven years. So I went from literally Naperville, like uh, community college turf field to Soldier Field and then out to Bridgeview. So I bounced around and saw a little bit of everything. I think leaving the soccer specific stadium sucks, but I think the, the opposite side of that is you got to get people back in the stands and regenerate that buzz. Obviously they try to do that with the rebranding. Mm-hmm. Um, so having it downtown, I mean, it's in a great location, obviously, you know, the 80,000 seat stadium is not ideal, but I think they needed to do something because, um, you know, Bridgeview, it's just tough to get to no public transportation, things like that. Um, and it, you know, that's just killed their ticket sales. And obviously they haven't had the best teams, but, uh, they needed to do something, so I'm I'm for it in this case specifically. What was the field like? The playing surface, like sharing that with the football field, 
a football team once the football season got started because you start you saw that with yeah. DC United with the XFL and when DC played yeah. it just looked terrible. But like as a player, what was your feelings towards that? Yeah, the last few games of the season leading into playoffs, I just remember Soldier Field being, you know, you could see the, the football lines, although they tried to fade it. Um, the end zones were kind of where the goals were, so kind of weird. But mm-hmm. at that era, we played, you know, half the stadiums we played in had football lines or, or something. So it was yeah. kind of – that's just that's just how it was back then. Um, now with, you know, soccer-specific stadiums, it's kind of like if you play, in, you know, with lines, it's like, oh, my goodness. But back then, that's – that's what we had, and so it just kind of became the norm. Yeah, and that's that's a big push around the league is it's almost a prerequisite for these new, you know, St. Louis or Charlotte to have a soccer-specific stadium or have some kind of proposal in the works. And Columbus Crew is back in yeah. the business of a, of a new stadium as well, and all of that started with Anthony Precourt. Um, so almost is Chicago, are they in talks of building a new soccer-specific stadium since they're going back to Soldier? Uh, I, I haven't heard. Um, I would hope that that's the plan down the line, but I haven't heard of yeah. any anything like that. But I, I mean, I can't imagine they're going to stay in. You can't stay in Soldier Field forever. Um, so right. Um, how long that is, I don't know. But um, hopefully they figure that out. So, so since we're on the topic of stadiums, what's the nicest stadium you've ever played in? Nicest stadium. Um, let's see. Uh, probably Crew Stadium, of course. Man, don't play with us. Honestly, I love I loved Crew Stadium because it was the first soccer specific. I was like, okay, this is different yeah. than the big football stadium. So I, I loved it. I know it was first one, and you know you can call it outdated or whatever, but I loved it. Um, but nicest one, uh, Sporting KC, um, which is part of the reason I went there and uh, as a free agent. Um, obviously, great atmosphere, but uh, really cool setup. Um, but nicest, nicest. Uh, went with the MLS All-Star in 2005, and we took an MLS team to the Bernabeu um, in Madrid. Um, got smacked around, of course, but uh, that was, you know, obviously legendary uh, stadium and uh, just massive. So um, Yeah, no, cool. no, nothing in the MLS compares to that. Yeah, so uh, keep it in, yeah, MLS <laughs> side of it and then just overall, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is there like so, a is there a stadium or a team you like hated to go away to? Was there like because of the crowd or anything like that? Was there anything like that? Yeah, I hated I hated a few places. I hated Dallas because it was no there were no fans and it was extremely hot. <laughs> I also hated Houston because it was also extremely hot um, <laughs> and also no fans um, <laughs> and. Maybe Portland because, it, you know, I think they've expanded it a little, but it was just like the, the crowd was amazing. Um, so they're against you, which can be good or bad. But then, you know, like small turf field. Um, so not playing on natural grass kind of sucks. Um, so I didn't love the Portland trip. Um, but, yeah, Texas, either way, I'm not a fan. <laughs> so Very understandable. Yeah. So since we're talking about some other cities and other teams, how does the soccer culture in cities like Chicago and Philly compare with the soccer culture in Montreal? Yeah, um, I think similar in ways. I mean, they're all big cities, you know, one or two million people, you know, so very big metropolitan area. So um, you get a a diverse crowd um, in all three. 
Um, I would say the difference between Montreal is you have a more, um, and if you've ever been to Montreal, you feel like you're in Paris or you feel like you're in Europe. So it's a very uh, European crowd. So, um, you know, you have a ton of uh, Italians, whatever, um, French, uh, all at the game. So I think just the European feel to it um, as opposed to the other two. Um, but all, all great fans in their own way. Um, but that, that's kind of what I would, uh, they're singing and chanting at the Montreal games in French. So I would say that's a big difference. Um, uh, yeah. Do the fans in Montreal have a better appreciation and understanding of the game than fans within the teams he played for in America? Yeah. I mean, it's tough to say. I mean, I think there's definitely very well educated fans that, you know, obviously all clubs that understand the Mm -hmm. game. Um, but I think having that European influence and culture, um, you know, more overall, uh, I think, you know, throughout the stadium, you're going to get, you know, more of an appreciation for maybe a, a good play or, you know, a combination or something that maybe 50% of the fans at these other stadiums might not appreciate or understand, you know, that nuance of the game. Um, so I, I think you are definitely onto something with that. Um, just an overall little bit better feel throughout. So Montreal has this bell and we saw that I saw that you got to ring it a couple of times. Can you like yeah. kind of, is there like a backstory to this bell or like what kind of story is it? Yeah, I forget the full story, but they started it a couple of years ago. Um, they wanted to do something special or unique to Montreal um, when they scored a goal. Um, so they decided, I forget how the bell came about, but they, uh, something to do with the bell is unique to the city. So they got this, huge like bell that weighs a ton um and they they shipped it in and put it behind the goal so now you know that's obviously their thing every time they score ring the bell um they asked me to come do it at one of the games uh last summer um which was pretty cool um seems to seems to have called on but yeah um it was just something unique they wanted to do um you know for uh for montreal when they score gotcha that's awesome yeah Cool. I think Poopus. I believe we skipped over one of your questions, the one about his all-time favorite, all-time most memorable goals. Yeah, it's all roles. good. Yeah, Go ahead, so, Poopus. I'm sorry. All right, that's no, all good. So, of like all 22 goals you've scored, which one's like the most memorable to you? Oh, I'd probably say uh, 2005, um, playing in Los Angeles, stuff hub, one-one uh, with the Galaxy. Uh, I think 89th, 90th minute. I was still pretty young, uh, you know, 2021. Scored like a 90-minute goal, kind of slalom through a few defenders, um, and obviously went on to win the game. So that was kind of like kind of a breakout performance for me. So it kind of still sticks with me as a young player um, and kind of gave me a lot of confidence. And it was obviously a crucial goal, um, game-winning goal. So that one uh, probably sticks out the most. I watched your highlight video and you like you would dribble through people like crazy though, really. Yeah, yeah. Bad, bad defending back in the day. (laughs) So the way that you beat players, did that? You know, obviously it takes some work, but you seem like you have some kind of natural feel to your game that like beating people one on one just comes natural to you. Would you say that's accurate, or did you have to? You know, were you lining up cones and bobbing and weaving through the cones? Yeah. I think, you know, obviously put in your work. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, obviously, you know, there does take just some natural feel to it. I mean, um, I think, you know, obviously when I was younger, just in my backyard, just trying stuff, that sort of stuff, 
you know, but I didn't have cones set up, dribble in and out. I mean, that's just, I don't feel like that that's realistic, you know, so um, it's just trying stuff, being creative and, uh, you know, that was kind of my game. I wasn't a great defender, you know, maybe not had, you know, when I was younger, certain aspects, but when I got the ball, I wanted to go 1v1. I mean, if I got it in my defensive third, I wanted to try and beat someone. Probably not a smart move back then, but uh, but yeah. So that was it. Just some of it kind of came natural. Obviously, you work on little little nuances of it, way to unbalance the defender, etc. But um, you know that kind of came natural for me, and you know having a little bit not unbalanced one, but I think a big part of my game was being able to accelerate or you know change the speed after you you know beat them initially. So um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely fun to watch. It's very entertaining for the fans. Thanks. And and unfortunately, you know, now in the MLS we have a player like Carlos Vela, who's obviously an elite player. Um, but you guys are similar in ways. You know, both left-footed, both play that inverted winger role. You guys love to cut in on your left foot. And just watching your highlight tape, you guys do very, very similar things. But out, outside of Vela, there's really not a great deal of players within the MLS that like you just said, you know, you're looking to take players one-on-one. So that's, yeah. that's something the fans really look for. Yeah. I mean, obviously I love watching him play. I mean, he's been incredible. And I mean, his season last year, just unbelievable. Um, it just feels like obviously y'all watch anytime he touches the ball, something is going to happen. Goal, yeah. assist, create a dangerous chance. So um, yeah, I, I would love to see more players just take players on 1v1 and um, you know, there's a lot of good players in the league, but yeah, you don't see that um, consistently. So, yeah, yeah, Eric. So you talked about you mentioned keeping your eye on players. Like, are there any like young American players that you're like kind of keeping an eye on? I mean, you're always people are always talking about like Christian Pulisic, Wes McKinney. Are there like any players that you're personally keeping an eye on for the future of the U.S. men's national team? Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough, obviously. Um, you know, uh, obviously a lot of young players coming up through the youth na- or through the national team. Um, I think there's a few playing in Europe that I'm not super familiar with, um, but coming up on this U20, U20 team specifically, um, did I lose you? Okay, you're back. Uh, Efrain Alvarez, I think, plays with the Galaxy. He's supposed to be the real deal. Haven't seen a whole lot of him yet. Um, uh, obviously Pulisic, you know, I'm hoping he can stay – fit for longer periods that's kind of been the only thing with him but you know you saw bits and bits and pieces with him at, at Chelsea just best player for a month or two before he gets injured so um let's see who else um yeah I mean I don't know hopefully some other guys will continue to catch my eye um I know they're I need to do a little better better research but um you know where I think he's been injured as well but yep. you know he's a promising guy playing in France so um, I think there's a lot of the talents there, but, you know, I just haven't seen enough of them. And obviously with the stoppage and pandemic, you know, obviously that doesn't help. So, no, nah, that's, I mean, I was just curious because last summer you had the U20 World Cup and you always heard that this was our best sure. U20 team and all the talent was there and so much talent that U20 players were getting left off for the upcoming qualifiers for the um olympics that were supposed to take place this summer stuff like that so i was just curious as there's like so much and it always seems that our u20 program does really well in tournaments and a lot of kids have that talent but then they somehow 
get lost in the transition between the yeah. U20s and the senior team. And I was just kind of curious on yeah. your thoughts of that and like where who you've kind of been keeping an eye on because there are some great talent. I mean, you talked yeah. about Tim Way, Alvarez, and all those players. There's so much there. Pommy Cowell, who's playing for Dallas. There's just so many good players at that pool right now. And hopefully they don't get lost in transition going yeah. into that senior uh, team. Yeah, I mean, the talent's there, and you see a lot of those players are already um, at big clubs um, trying to establish themselves where maybe that what hasn't always been the case. I remember our under-20 team, we had several college players, you know, back in 2003. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously the times have changed, and the talent's there, but making that leap from U20 to, you know, having a, a long-lasting uh, senior team career is, is the ultimate test. Um, and there's so many factors that go into it from injury to club situation, you know, and, um, you know, you're hoping that some of those guys can continue to progress. So, yeah. So I think we're going to move on to what should be the last question for you. Um, so okay. you're a coach, you have the school that you do. What advice would you give to kind of the younger generation looking to become a professional or go through the ranks here? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'll just tell you what I tell a couple of things that I tell my kids and it's nothing uh, revolutionary or that you haven't heard, but I just always tell them uh, to control what they can control. Um, and it's a pretty cliche saying, but there's certain things that they can do that are in their control. You know, they can come to training with a good attitude. They can work hard. Um, and that's what I always tell them. I don't care if they mess up, make mistakes, that's going to happen. But uh, your mentality and your attitude, um, if you can bring that, you give yourself a fighting chance. Yep. Um, so I try and instill that with them. And then I just let them know there's no shortcut for getting better, that they're young players and these years are so critical to lay the foundation within your game that there's no shortcut for if I want to make my weak foot better, for instance, I need to, I need to put the repetitions in. And that's, that's hours and hours and hours, and there's no shortcut around it. If you don't do it, it's not going to happen. Um, and there's no shortcut for putting that – you know, sort of work in, um, either you, you know, you want it or you don't, but, uh, you know, uh, they, they know that. So. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we're still, I don't know what age groups you're working with, but even at the college yeah. game, you're still trying to tell, especially incoming freshmen who were possibly the star on their team in high school or club and they're coming in and they're on the bench for a little bit. They're not the star player anymore. It's like a lot of them have trouble processing that and transitioning a little bit so you kind of just tell tell them that same thing and my biggest thing is just yeah make sure stay ready so you don't have to get ready and yeah I mean because you don't know when the next injury is going to happen and you don't know when we're going to need you so you need to be ready when exactly it is and it's tough it's tough to instill that mentality in a young player you know they think they're not playing it's easy to switch off or tune out or not do what you would normally do if you were playing. So, um, uh, yeah, that, that's a tricky one for sure. Yeah, and yeah, you always I, have the, the background noise. You got the parents in the background. I don't know how your parents are, but there's always that one parent who always seems yeah, to be yeah. watching over their kid, helicoptering their kids. So that always sure, adds a sure. difficulty to it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we'll keep up the good work with, you know, growing the game of soccer within the state of Mississippi and, you know, within the United States in general. Uh, I think yeah. you have quite quite a huge influence 
Um, and I hope a lot of people seek out your, um, your advice and your development opportunities for their children. Yeah. So guys, that's the last of our questions that we have typed out. Does anybody have anything else? I think we're good, honestly. Yeah, I'm good. All right, cool. All right. Uh, All right. Well, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's It's been an honor to talk with you. You've given us a lot of good insight, not only on your background, but your views on the game in America itself. So we appreciate your time. We appreciate you just, you know, even – you know, just spending time with us and you know taking the time to interview with us uh, so so we do really really appreciate it we can't express it enough yeah thanks for having me guys keep doing your thing and uh yeah look forward to, to hearing it and uh yeah you want to do something else down the road just let me know i'm uh i'm free cool Justin, we'll, absolutely yeah we'll we'll definitely right. stay in we'll definitely stay in touch so once again guys thank you for tuning in to mls gone wild week 12 we had justin map on the show uh 15 year mls vet uh, played for five different MLS teams, had eight caps to the U.S. men's national team. Um, thank you again for have, or for you know letting us talk to you. And for those of you listening, please go rate, review, and subscribe to our, our Apple podcast page if you have Apple. If not, you can listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, wherever you guys listen to podcasts. Once again, thank you for everybody listening. This is Week 12 of MLS Gone Wild. We'll catch you all next week. Peace.